What's up, sports fans? It's time for Let Me Speak. I'm Joe Braverman, and on this show, we discuss the big news in the world of sports as heard from me, myself, and I. Here's what we'll be talking about this week. A look back at Super Wild Card Weekend and previewing the NFL Divisional Round. Plus, what have been the big headlines from the NBA through its first few months? And reacting to the big news about the end of Bill Belichick in New England. You're listening to the landmark 100th episode of Let Me Speak. Let's get the party started. Fire up the intro. Let me speak. The day is finally here on Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. We made it. It's the 100th episode of Let Me Speak. I thank you all once again for tuning in wherever you get this podcast, if you're watching us or listening to us. Now, this is a celebration episode as well. We're going to do the same format as we normally do. We're going to be talking sports, but as you can see, it's a different studio a little bit. We've gone from the bedroom to the living room for this episode because while it's custom on this podcast to be talking sports, I like to bring on a guest now and again. And this 100th episode is going to be no different because all the segments are going to feature special guests. That's right. They might be new faces. They might be returning faces. They might be classic favorites. You just have to keep listening and or watching to find out. I just can't believe we're actually here. We actually made it to the 100th episode. I know there was a, a break in between a little bit over a year, but I can't believe that we've hit the 100th episode. And I think let's not waste any more time and get right into it. Let's talk NFL playoffs. We'll get into a look back into the wild card round and we'll preview the divisional round in these first two segments. And for this one, I needed a guess that some of you might recognize from a couple of episodes and maybe a bonus episode now and again. So let's throw it to my conversation earlier today, talking NFL playoffs. So we start off our historic 100th episode by looking at the NFL, and I need one of my special guests to help me bring this. You remember him from one of the earlier episodes of this podcast all the way back in 2020 you also might remember him from the ultimate boston fantasy draft ben may welcome back to the show thank you for your time i'm happy to not be remembered for the boston fantasy draft i think i fumbled that horrendously uh i voted too much with my heart on edelman and left a lot of left a lot to be desired there but happy to be here for the 100th episode and happy to be remembered as i think i went 10 and 3 on one of your uh, prediction weeks i think that was my my greatest achievement of, of course of course you were one of the the top players i mean of course we're bringing you back multiple times which means you must be doing something right for this podcast so look at it like that always <laughs> always always look at it in a positive light so uh we'll get into the playoffs just a little bit but i know obviously you are a big patriots fan so i want to dive into the big news Obviously, just get your quick take out of the way. How do you feel about Bill Belichick 
being out as head coach and Gerard Mayo being in. What's your what's your opinion and what are your feelings? It is probably due. I think uh, they clearly seem to have some sort of contingency plan that involved Bill maybe retiring after the 2024 season or at least moving on after the 2024 season. I think that got pushed ahead by this four and 13 record in a, a very abysmal season. Um, the the smoke that I'm currently seeing is this whole situation regarding having Gerard Mayo as the head coach, which I like. It just clearly seems to be a contractual obligation because there there was definitely some clauses in uh, Mayo's extension that had him as the succession, whether we're sooner into that than we expected is to, to be debated. And the GM situation where it seems that we are not going to be doing anything external and keeping things internal which I am not sure how that um, fixes our problems. It might just turn out that the whole time Bill Belichick was not as stingy as we expected, and truly the governor of the whole situation was Robert Kraft and his lack of interest in spending money on players over a long period of time. To me, the Krafts are not interested in spending money on new head coaches and new GMs while paying Belichick and Mayo on their contracts. And that's while probably a good financial decision, they're a billion dollar football team. I'm sure they can take the loss on this one. The fact that they're going to uh, stay true to their internal operations could lead to a couple more years of low seeding uh, records and high draft picks that yeah, will wait. fumble. Yeah. <laughs> It's a lot it's a lot of wait and see and we'll talk Belichick with another special guest later on in the show but we're here to break down the NFL wild card games and preview the divisional round. We had six games. Ben, honestly, there weren't a ton of games that I watched and was like, "Wow, this is entertaining." I mean, I think I could only count the Rams and the Lions as that one. All the other ones were a blowout. I mean, was it really an entertaining weekend, I guess, in watching these games? It was not. And I I'm so happy to be offered as a guest. And then when I realized that I would have to watch wildcard weekend games, I, it, it dawned on me what I had signed myself up for. You know, we've done this uh, seven seed for, playoff, uh, for the playoff restructure for about three seasons now. And it has only resulted in the Packers being the only seven seed to win a playoff game which also means that it, the Packers are the only seventh seed in this three years that have looked like a legitimate playoff contender. We have just, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers on the other end and we know how that went. And in general, these wildcard games are just blowouts that feel like going through the motions as you're getting to the divisional round and waiting for the one seeds to finally have their moment in the sun. So, I mean, I'm sure it does well for like the first half <laughs> and then people start to tune out um, lot, a lot to learn about which teams can, uh, can perform well in the postseason versus which teams had help with their schedule in the regular season and maybe just can't put it together in big playoff situations. I'm sure we'll get into that very shortly. Yeah, ab absolutely. It was, I, I would say that this has been the year of parody and it seemed like it continued, but Hey, there's still a lot of, football left to be going uh we'll start with the first game obviously we'll just break it down from when they started houston beat cleveland 45 to 14 i don't know about you ben but cj stroud has just turned himself into a star with that appearance against the allegedly top defense 
of the Cleveland Browns, the Joe Flacco story, uh, Cinderella, it, the clock struck midnight for them. Was this more about C.J. Stroud and Houston sort of letting the world know, hey, we're here, or more about Cleveland and this, I guess, magical run coming to an end? I think it's more fun to start off talking about the Houston Texans. We've never really seen a rookie quarterback perform with this much efficiency. We've certainly seen people sling it, you know, you know, Jameis Winston, you know, no, known for just slinging it in his rookie year, Baker Mayfield as well. But we've never really seen it with this much ability to not throw interceptions and not turn the ball over in general. He's already he already has a great awareness of the field and already is making really just young players that none of us knew about. I didn't know about Collins. I didn't know about any of his wide receivers. I think the only uh, player I could na- players I could name on the offense are like Devin Singletary and Dalton Schultz because those are from other teams. They they just have something going and they have a culture going with Tamiko Ryan's that, that keeps them afloat. What I'll say about Joe Flacco is that it's not that's not necessarily his fault. This is a Browns team that was put was held together with a lot of band-aids over the regular season as they had a murder a murderer's row of different quarterbacks and had a good enough defense to keep things going. However, that secondary is was banged up and was not able to perform in the slightest um the biggest matchup of course in that game is everyone's favorite players to talk about laramie tunsil and miles garrett i'm sure everyone had that on their radar for 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 talking points but really laramie tunsil was able to do his job as an offensive lineman and one of the elite offensive linemen in the nfl shutting down miles garrett for the most part in that game and giving cj stroud the time to throw those beautiful bombs to Whoever those young men are, I'm sure I'll learn their names in the next in the next four years because I think, and this is what I'll say is that the the AFC South rather has been a middling division really since Tennessee was the one seed that one time, and I think now is the time for things to break out a little bit and for Houston to really control that division in a way that we have not seen in the last two or three years. Yeah, it's fun to see what Houston's going to do, not just for the future, but in the divisional round as well. How about that other Saturday game, which we saw on Peacock? Not sure if we had that streaming service (laughs) all around the country, but I'm sure some people figured it out. Chiefs with the easy win, 26-7. to Ben, I saw this coming from a mile away. Record freezing temperatures, plus Miami can't beat any good teams. What were your takeaways from this game? Miami can't beat any good teams, and I'm not sure if Tua is exactly the guy that everyone wants to say say that he is i know that we have a lot of Tua defenders in the dark spaces of the internet and i just sometimes i just really don't see it i just see a lot of good weapons and i lot and i see a lot of good schematic stuff from from the coaching but i'm not sure if i'm just seeing a guy that can like lead a two-minute drive down to the end i think i'm not entirely impressed with what i saw out of the Chiefs in general. I still see the same Chiefs that are making the same fundamental mistakes. I still see the same Chiefs that are dropping passes. I still see the same Chiefs that are really being held on offensively by Patrick Mahomes and have a really excellent defense to keep them in the game. So congrats to the Chiefs. They were able they were able to get it done at home. They have a long road ahead of them to get to to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, if but if you're going to bet against anyone, you should not bet against Patrick Mahomes. As as for what's next for Miami, I they it, it's a tough spot. You don't necessarily want to blow anything up, but you definitely need to take a look and figure out what exactly is Tua going to need in order to 
perform better, whether that's in, in something internally for himself or if that's going to be getting more dudes who can run 100 miles per hour down a field for, for some good yak. I don't know. And just for the record, with those freezing cold temperatures, even if you were a Chiefs fan or a Dolphins fan, you're not going to that game with those record <laughs> temperatures, are you? Not, e- not even if the tickets are $30, which is a rarity in any sport. <laughs> uh, we did hear the GM say they want to commit to two a long term. You know, that's what we heard now. It's kind of a wait and see for the future. How about the Sunday slate of games? I honestly was surprised, not so much that the Packers beat the Cowboys, but the fact of how they beat them. Packers were up 27-0 at halftime. The game got close a little bit at the in the fourth quarter, but eventually Green Bay was able to hold them off and everything just worked against Dallas. Were you surprised at how Green Bay was so efficient against Dallas, against the number two seed in the NFC? I, I would say yes to that. What I'm not surprised by is the fact that the Cowboys uh, wasted another playoff season for them. Uh, to talk about Green Bay, really just Jordan Love has been evolving uh, really since like Thanksgiving when they beat the Lions. And I think it's kind of been a quiet situation that's happening that we're not necessarily talking about as much. Um, I think Jordan Love has has evolved his game in ways that have kept the offense on the field and been able to do good. And I think they're just the Packers are, you know, a respected organization that knows how to get stuff done. So they have a well-built team regardless, and they might just have the quarterback that can carry them for the next I'm not going to put a year on it that's just we can't put that on record but you know if they are truly going to go from Favre to Rodgers to Love in a meaningful way that's something to say but I think you know this is the sports um, radio business and we live and breathe and die on how the Cowboys do and when they lose oh my god do they lose I have been alive for 29 years And even though I haven't been watching football for 29 years, I know that for those 29 years, the Cowboys, if they get to the playoffs, and that is a if sometimes, they find a way to lose in either the most horrendous way, the most heartbreaking way, or just the most comical way possible. And somehow, Sunday night was all three of those. I, you you say that the, the score got close at the end there. That game was over when it was 27-0 and the shock in AT&T Stadium settles in as Jerry Jones has to realize that he has to clean house again as he's the one with the blood on his hands wondering what's what's wrong and who's the problem. He this this team has some sort of mental curse. I don't even know I I I I'm not even sure if I believe in that kind of stuff, but you have such a talented roster, but they fold in these big moments every single time. And I had to look, I was just looking at like the Cowboys schedule and I'm just wondering who did they beat in the regular season? That was like a meaningful victory. They blew out our pats. That's not, that's not very interesting, but then you look at situations. They lost to the Cardinals of all teams. Like the writing was on the wall with, with this team in that they weren't necessarily going to be a legitimate contender. Yes. You can beat the giants twice. Anyone can. (laughs) so i'm just you know there's a lot of rumors now about what's next with the cowboys if belichick is truly going to go there then hats off to him for going from you know one owner with an iron fist to another that's gonna i I, that's gonna create amazing content for the dallas media scene i 
I, I wish we could talk about the Packers more, but I will say that as we get into the divisional round picks, where we will discuss about how the Packers are, while they are the seventh seed and while they did beat the Cowboys, they're not necessarily a playoff team yet. Yeah, I was always one of those guys who wanted to reserve judgment on Dallas before uh, turning him into a contender or not. And now, now that the playoffs happened, I realized, as you said, same old Dallas, same old Cowboys. But let's shift gears and go to probably the most exciting game of the wild card slate. The Lions finally breaking their playoff drought. First win in 32 years, and they just squeaked by with a 24-23 win over the Rams. Ben, are the Lions America's team? Because it feels like everyone is rooting for them to go a really long way. But the Rams did put up a little bit of a fight. Honestly, though, the story is about Detroit. Just call me Ben America May if that's the case. Absolutely, (laughs) the Lions are America's team right now. Are the Lions particularly great to amazing? No, we have teams like the Niners and the Ravens and even potentially the Chiefs you can throw into that conversation. But there is so there's so much vibes going on right now. There's so much good story going on. There is a culture that Dan Campbell built. Jared Goff is playing well enough. This is a this is a team that is built well and one of the few situations where you could hire a coach before the GM and it actually works out pretty well. Maybe there's hope for us one day, Joe. And <laughs> it's just fun. It's just a fun team to watch do well. The run game uh, was fantastic in, 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 that, in that circumstance. Jared Goff was throwing passes that I only think Joe Flacco could throw in the sense that just like, that's a pick. <laughs> oh, he caught that. Oh, wow. You know, it's just, you know, that live wire situation. And I, one of the things that happens in the the ticket reselling market is that you don't necessarily get home field advantage these days. You can go to a Pats game, but a lot of people from all walks of life are going to be able to come to come there. You know, people fly from all over the place. You can, and these, with the way that reselling goes, a lot of season tickets go to people who don't even own those season tickets per se. The Lions have home field advantage in the truest sense of the word. Detroit is ready to throw the ultimate celebration, and it is hard to not get behind it in that regard. I wish I could say more about X's and O's about the Lions, but it is just pure, pure vibes with them. And they sh- by that alone, they should just simply win it all. Yeah, it's fun. It, I think that's the key word. It's fun for Detroit, and they get to do it all over again because they get another home playoff game next week. How about the Monday slate of games that we saw yesterday? Uh, Pittsburgh and Buffalo originally scheduled for Sunday, but obviously there was a blizzard in Buffalo. Now, you were, uh, for a time, in the western New York area, so you know a little bit about the blizzard conditions. Um, but talking about the game, I definitely thought that this was going to be a blowout, but... Pittsburgh kept it close a little bit. They got it to a touchdown late on, but then it was just Buffalo doing their Buffalo thing. Does this give you confidence that the Bills can maybe go a long way, or is this just the Steelers kind of got lucky and they folded in the the playoffs? It's hard to assess the Bills, especially knowing what is next for them, which while they do have a a home playoff game coming up next, they do have the Chiefs, and we all know what happened the last time we had a Chiefs Bills matchup in the playoffs um it's just one of those things where anything can necessarily happen with the bills josh allen can have an incredible game josh allen can also 
throw punts for an entire quarter. <laughs> and I think at the end of the day, the Steelers are still just at their core somewhat well run so that they can be competitive. But if when they have people like Mason Rudolph at quarterback and when they have just not everything that they need and sometimes just receivers that want to give up at any given point, they are not going to be able to go far. But good but good for them for getting the seventh seed. Congratulations to Mike Tomlin for having the 500th uh, record above 500 in a row. It's, you know, they, good for them. I think for the Bills, all, all that they need to do is just simply – Keep going with what has been working for them in their tra- in their transitions on offense. C- continue with run he- with run heavy offense. Only throw only throw the ball when ap- when absolutely needed in those in, o- in those moments when you know that it's going to be an actual catch. And give some reliance on Josh Allen to just do magic. I mean, he had a 52 yard run- rushing touchdown that I haven't seen that from him in a while. And I think that's exactly what this what this team needs to do going forward. Yeah, it's magic from Buffalo, I guess you could say. Uh, rounding out, though, the wild card, Philly and Tampa. You mentioned Dallas collapsing. I think there was no greater collapse, though, than the Eagles. The fact that they started 10-1, and one, they finished the regular season 1-5, and five, and then they get blown up by the Buccaneers and Baker Mayfield. Mayfield, 337 yards and three touchdowns. I originally picked Tampa. I thought they were going to win this game. I did not think they were going to win this convincingly. Would you would you say this was more about Tampa winning or the Eagles losing? In the long term, this is about the Eagles losing. This is a long time coming for them in the sense that they have our good friend Matt Patricia helping out on defense. And clearly he is helping so much with teaching them all of those guys how to tackle because I did not see a single tackle. I think I could tackle you better than James Bradbury <laughs> could tackle anybody ever. And we could so, do it virtually through the zoom. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just be better than the I, Eagles. <laughs> I'm not, you know, it's clear that Nick Sirianni is not necessarily a head coach in the like schematic sense. He had some great coordinators that got, that helped his uh, whole coaching unit get to the Super Bowl. Nick Sirianni is, the like the Jekyll to Dan Campbell's hide and just, or maybe I have those backwards there, but in any event, Nick Sirianni is bad vibes because he's going to mouth off at anybody and not really have the accountability that you need in anything. I think they have lost more games since he started yelling at chiefs fans that one time. And to talk about the bucks, I mean, no one has no other quarterback has thrown for 300 plus yards in a playoff game besides Tom Brady. So Baker Mayfield is clearly in Tom Brady echelon at this given stage. What I will say is that we shouldn't be too surprised about the Bucks winning because they still have a lot of the same elements from their Super Bowl winning team with Tom Brady and they still have a lot of the good tools that have kept that have kept them alive in playoff circumstances. To have a quarterback that's not 45 years old and on the way out is just good enough. And I think Baker on a prove it year has definitely proven himself to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And I think that, again, this is more of a situation where the the Eagles just lost this and lost it in a long-term situation there. I haven't seen really a collapse like this since the Steelers went 11 and 0 and then just lost six in a row, including that big loss to the Browns. Um, 
There's not much to say. Uh, we just heard uh, this morning that uh, Jason Kelsey is retiring. I'm sure we'll get plenty of TikTok clips uh, from the New Heights <laughs> podcast uh, detailing what that looks like because that's the only way that I listen to that podcast is through TikTok clips. So, <laughs> you know, congrats, congrats to him. Hell of a career. I, you know, he's got a ring. He's got a, he's got a ring, and thank goodness he's for got it. a ring, and he's going to spend more time with Taylor Swift. I mean, what could be better for Jay, for Jason <laughs> Kelsey? What could Hell be better? In law. <laughs> I, yeah. I will say if if when if when this marriage happens, the best man speech that uh, Jason Kelsey is going to give at that wedding should be recorded, because if we know <laughs> anything about Jason Kelsey in speeches, it will be one for the ages and he'll be in the most ridiculous get up possible for a wedding. <laughs> it's true. There's truly nothing like the Kelsey brothers, nothing at all. We shift from the wild card round. Let's talk about this upcoming weekend in the divisional round. We got four games, which I'm hoping, Ben, are going to be a lot closer than what we saw this past weekend. Uh, the schedule, We'll just go schedule by schedule. Texans and Ravens, that to me feels like a shootout. The Ravens, the lack of playing time does worry me a little bit. You got Lamar Jackson, who sat in week 18, and then obviously the Ravens had their bye. Hopefully they can shake off that rust and get quickly, but... Where are you sort of, what are the vibes you're getting between Houston and Baltimore? I think shootout is the exact word that, that this is going to be. I think while the Texans are, are pretty good uh, defensively with Will Anderson, these are just two offenses that are operating at a very high level. It, especially with Houston coming off of that win and being able to operate their offense at that level. And I think that they're just going to be able to run this out, run up the scoreboard and really, make something fun and fun and competitive that could go down to the wire. I think you get, you, you got to take the one seed and you got to take the home field advantage. Baltimore has a sneaky, good home field advantage because those fans are nuts. Um, I got, I got to say though, that this is, if there's any four seed that could potentially do something, it could be, it, it could be the Texans. It, it would be, I'd be hard pressed to put anything on it. Like my word not money, just my word, <laughs> but this whole, the whole ride that the Texans are going on. I mean, why not? Because I, the, the Ravens are another team that have sneakily done great in the regular season and done great things. But when they get to the postseason, they start to lay eggs. And I think about the Titans law, uh, their loss against the Titans that one time when they were supposed to win it all on Lamar's MVP year. And I wonder if on Lamar's second MVP year, if much has really changed. Yeah, it's sort of a wait and see. I mean, Lamar has definitely had his best year of his career. It's probably going to be MVP once again, but it's a matter of can they do it in the postseason? Similar to the Cowboys, you know, we wait and reserve judgment until they get to the postseason. Second game, though, on that Saturday slate is Packers and Niners. That's going to be, I think, an underrated, entertaining game because I think the Packers proved how efficient they are as an offense. Jordan Love has established himself as one of the top quarterbacks in the league. But you've got a 49ers team that is just loaded with weapons. And ultimately, I picked them to go to the Super Bowl uh, near the beginning of the year. But this might be the toughest task that the 49ers have to face in that possible Super Bowl run. What would you say? Yeah, the the Packers and Jordan Love need to now go against one of the better defensive front lines in the NFL and hold their weight 
And I'm not sure if I'm seeing that happening. I'm not sure if Jordan Love has that vision to be able to understand what he's looking at when he's going to be looking at the San Francisco defense. And, you know, this is really the Niners Super Bowl to win, in my opinion. This is the team that Kyle Shanahan and and John Lynch have created. And now they have the quarterback um, in a not without without an injury, and they have the guy that they want to to run this. I'm not interested in you know game management, Brock Purdy. I think I've dealt with 15 years of you know Brady being a system quarterback. <laughs> if you're able to do well in the NFL, you're probably a starting quarterback. Like it's like we got to just get real with that here. This is the Niners' game to lose. Essentially, um, they have everything in front of them. They have the one seed. They have all they have all the weapons. They're relatively healthy. I think the Packers can put up a good fight, and I think they can make it a fun and competitive game. I'm not expecting anything miracle wise out of the Packers at this point. I think they have shown that they've arrived, and if anything, and I think we'll get to this when we talk about uh, Lions and Bucks, that the Packers are going to be here to stay in the NFC North in the long term, and that uh, affects how we think about the lions and what their window looks like for the super bowl as well yeah no doubt about it maybe in a couple of years the packers would put up and people would be picking them over the 49ers but for now it's just san francisco with all the talent that they have the sunday slate of games starts with bucks and lions and we mentioned the lions and their cinderella run but really for me i look at this and i see tampa as this is probably the biggest test that they've had because the Eagles, yeah, they're a good test and they had a lot of talent, but they were really on a downslide. So this is where Tampa really gets tested. And meanwhile, for Detroit, they get another home game. So if you thought the fans were riled up last weekend, this past weekend, imagine what they're going to be like on Sunday afternoon. Exactly. I think the Lions, they only have themselves that to get in their own way. The Lions and the Bucks, almost kind of similar in their in their play style and what and what they're able to do with with the ball they it should be a competitive game in a sense i think the lions should be able to have control of everything going forward and like like i was alluding to you know with the with the lions right now they're the nfc north champs and they ha- and they have great playoff hopes right now with considering what green bay is potentially building in the future of jordan love in this team and knowing the vikings and how they are able to just consistently be nine and eight in some regard, or maybe even ten and seven if we're feeling lucky. They, the the Lions may not get a chance to just be on top of the division in like a long term way that they're maybe thinking of in a dynasty adjacent kind of situation. So, if the vibes run out and Baker Mayfield bakes in a way that create <laughs> that 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 gets them out of the playoffs we may not see them again so we gotta ride this wave as long as we can and america's team has got to, has got to go forward and the auto workers are going to just they're gonna shut i mean ford's gonna not make cars for like a week if <laughs> if, if uh if the lines can go all the way we're just gonna be celebrating in detroit forever <laughs> from from the way you're talking it sounds like you're from detroit you're recording from detroit <laughs> but I, I, it uh, definitely sounds like you're rooting for the lions without a doubt for sure what, uh, what's there not to love man you know exactly exactly and then wrapping it up chiefs and bills if it's anything like we've seen in the past as you mentioned earlier this should be one heck of a game 
I don't know. I don't know about the Chiefs, though, Ben. You said the offensive struggles, the receivers dropping. Mahomes isn't looking Mahomes-esque. This could go either way for me. Where are you leaning on this one? I feel like this is this is what it feels like to be on the other side of when people just doubted Tom Brady. And when we were, you know, our in our youthful times, we were just like, why would you doubt, doubt Tom Brady? Look at the playoff success. Patrick Mahomes is 12 and 3 in the playoffs. He's already surpassed people like Aaron Rodgers in playoff wins. The, when Peyton Manning got his 12th playoff win, it was in his last season, and then he retired. This is a guy who has a lot of playoff acumen. There's a lot of things to doubt about the Chiefs. A lot. And Patrick Mahomes runs as hard as possible on third down conversions to the point that his helmet cracks in negative 22 degree weather. <laughs> as much as much as it feels like the narrative gets pushed down our throats, you got to embrace the narrative sometimes. Patrick Mahomes is the guy I am terrified to bet against him. If there's ever a situation to bet against him, it's in Buffalo with this Buffalo Bills team. First time he's ever had to go on the road. Keep that in mind. First time ever. Exactly. So this is this is the true this is the true test. I think I think this is the Bills game to win because for for those reasons alone, if they can shut down Mahomes, I think that I think they punch their ticket. So it sounds like a little bit, I mean, you it sounds like you're literally before kickoff gonna flip a coin up in the air. And if it lands heads, you're gonna go one way, tails the other way. That's where it's going. The last time we had a coin flip uh determine the Bills and the Chiefs. <laughs> I'll just leave I'll just leave it at that. That is a hey, great you know, way to I'll, end it. <laughs> I'll all I'll say is that you can't it's it's hard to bet against Pat Mahomes. But so, I will try. <laughs> what a great way to end it on with that coin toss reference. So it looks like you and me, though, are lockstep on Baltimore, San Francisco, Detroit, and Kansas City. I I might change that Kansas City one. You know, that's sort of a, a wait and see. But uh, Ben May, thank you very much for joining us on the 100th episode, talking a little bit of NFL. And I'm sure we'll be getting you much more on this podcast for the next 100 episodes or more. And congratulations on 100 episodes, Joe. You've put in the work. You've put in the hours. You have made you have made this into the most successful podcast in Western Massachusetts, based <laughs> off of my metrics of listening. Maybe even Eastern Massachusetts. Who knows? I don't even know who listens to radio anymore. 98.5, sure, but no. Regardless, I'm sure, I'm sure Fitzy is going to be listening and smiling at both of us with all of our takes. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ben May, previewing the NFL. Coming up next, we got another guest here to talk some NBA and a little bit of Celtics as well. continue with the 100th episode and we go to the nba and i thought no better than to bring on one of my favorite guests that i've had in these last 100 episodes you know him as the celtics writer for weei.com and he's got a brand new podcast out there from odyssey and eei called slammed all about the boston celtics back on the pod is justin turpin turp thanks so much for taking the time out thank you so much for having me i love 
chopping up NBA with you. And congratulations on the 100th episode, man. That's oh, awesome. Oh, thank you so much. I say 100. We had a little bit of a break in between, but 100 is good nonetheless. You made so, it. You made it. Exactly. One double zero is always an accomplishment. So before we get into the NBA, I have to ask you this question because I've been asking all my guests. I recently talked with Ben May, who had an answer. I got to ask you, last Thursday morning, Bill Belichick, the Patriots part ways. We get the tweet. What's going through your mind? Honestly, I kind of expected it, but it's something you can never prepare for, right? It's like as much as you prepare yourself mentally, you'll never fully be prepared for it, especially for guys like our age. Like, that's all we know. We don't know Patriots football without Bill Belichick. Like, that guy gave us our childhood and gave us so reasons to be happy, so many reasons to smile. So I'll always love him for that. And it was still weird, though. You wake up and you're like, wow, they actually did it because you kind of thought, like, they didn't do it on Black Monday, which I don't think people thought they were going to, but it kind of like, all right, wait, are they going to hold them back? They fought hard at the end of the year, but uh, in the end, I think it was time. You know, you read all the reports that there was a lot of dysfunction there, and obviously his inability to build the team, I think, was one of the biggest problems where hey, the build the GM was the issue, and it was so bad that they were willing to part ways with Bill the coach. So it was shocking nonetheless, but it was, it was you know, you, you were ready for it, but it's something you're never really prepared for. Well, the only difference is you were actually born into the dynasty. I had to wait a little four. I had to wait three years, three years of my whole life. You don't remember that, though, right? <laughs> I had a, and I, you know, I had to go to the game on uh, the Sunday, the Jets game. I had to go break the elements. I was like, "This is for Bill. The least I could do is give him one more, one more cheer because he did so much for me." Oh, the fact that you were able to brave those elements shows how dedicated you were to the legacy that Bill Belichick brought in Foxborough. All right, let's shift gears to the reason why he brought you on. It's the NBA. We haven't talked a lot of NBA since we had you on the last time. We're a little bit past the halfway point. We've got a couple weeks till the All-Star break. That's really the definitive halfway point. So I just wanted to get a couple of your thoughts and takes on what's gone on in the NBA so far. And of course, we'll dive into the Celtics mainly because that is your forte. So I just wanted to start overall in the NBA. What do you think has been the biggest story of the season so far? I think it's something that people aren't talking about enough, and that's the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're the second youngest team in the NBA. They're number two in the West, and they have superstars in SGA. They got a rookie of the year, potential rookie of the year in Chet Holgram. You got a plethora of young talent with J-Dub, Giddy, and Dort. I mean, that team is loaded, and I don't think people are giving them enough credit. Like, they are way ahead of trajectory, and like what Sam Presti has done there, a Massachusetts native, might I add, it's just super impressive, and I don't think people are giving them enough credit. Uh, I think it, when it's all said and done, they very well could represent the Western Conference, and it's just incredible because they have so much draft capital coming up. So if you're a team in the West, you're like, man, like we got to get it done now because they're going to be stealing these championships for a long time to come because that team is that good. I remember you came on the pod last time and you said, watch out for the Thunder, but I don't think anyone expected number two in the West, considering what they have, as you said, draft capital and talent surrounding them. They're good for another 10 to 15 years before they have to worry about a full-fledged rebuild and what they have to go through. Right. They are in the ideal situation. I mean, like what they have, like granted, it took years of a little bit of suffering to get there, but it's well worth it because now you have this young talent. You have so much draft capital that like, you could even bring in more established superstars if you want. I know SGA is a younger guy, but he is an MVP in this league. Eventually, he will be one. He's top four in the MVP ladder right now, and they are that good. And I think 
us in the Eastern Conference, us primarily Boston fans, like you kind of lose touch of what goes on in the Western Conference a little bit. But, you know, this team needs to be looked at for real, and they are way ahead of their trajectory. And it, to me, that's been the biggest storyline this year. Well, you're obviously paying attention to them, not like average Boston fans out here. <laughs> uh, transitioning, though, from the Thunder, would you say that's the biggest surprise of the NBA so far, or is there maybe another team out there that's kind of shocked you with the way they've started? So for biggest surprise, I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction here. Not necessarily a team, but the in-season tournament. I think to me is that was the biggest success. I don't think the NBA even expected to do the numbers and to have the success that it did. I mean, that thing was awesome. I don't know how you felt about it. I know a lot of people didn't necessarily love it, but even the point differential stuff, I love that. Like you're sweating out a 29-point game in November between the Bulls and the Celtics, your scoreboard watching in the NBA in November, it's just not, it's unheard of. And I just think that brought a whole new intrigue to the game and the viewership was up and it was a slam dunk from the NBA and Adam Silver. So I think as much crap they got going into it where people didn't know if they were going to love it, uh, it was a big success. And personally, I was, I was a huge fan. I, I would say 80% of me really did like it. I think I do contrast with you, at least on the point differential, because you have, as you said, that Celtics-Bulls game, they have to run up the score. I don't, I, I wish they sort of changed that tiebreaker, maybe like a uh, overall record, like where they are in the standings, be a different tiebreaker. And then the courts themselves were just bad. They, they, were, a sore, they were a sore sight for the Some eyes. of them were bad. Did yeah. you like the Celtics one, though? I didn't, I didn't hate that, that one. one. I, I also liked Phillies. That there one I can manage. Good. It was it was it was like the bright colored ones. Like I think if, Chicago's oh, yeah. was really really bad. Oklahoma City's. I think, we were just talking yeah. about that. I think I think New Orleans had like a purple with a neon green. That was, oh yeah, that was a rough look. That was really I just really didn't like bad. the middle. Like the court, the different color courts fine, but like when you got the stripe down the middle, the universal, like, and they didn't let the Celtics or anyone mess with it. Like they wanted the parquet. Like if the Celtics were able to put the parquet on theirs, that would have been so dope. But the colors, I think you're right with that. And you know, a way to can possibly get away from that point differential is maybe you extend the tournament. You know, yeah. if you're looking at four games, like, of course, the point differential is going to be much tighter. But if you extend it, maybe like a two month thing, then maybe you're not looking at it that way. Well, I mean, it's the first year of the tournament. There are going to be those trials and tribulations and stuff's sure. going to work. Stuff's not. And I'd say, as you said, it was an overall success because there were more positives to come out of it than negative. And plus, give credit to the players, too, for actually taking it serious and being competitive. I mean, it's probably biting Indiana and the Lakers in the butt because they haven't done really well since they uh, got to the first there. Yeah. Final. <laughs> Is that that'll be the NBA's version of the Madden curse. You make the in-season tournament and then you'll you'll go down the drain. Um, how about what would you say? No, go ahead. When it eventually happens, though, when a team wins the in-season tournament and the finals, that'd be so dope. Like just a clean, clean sweep of the se- like the whole season, that'd be sick. Yeah, that would be a history-making <laughs> moment. Um, let's go to the the biggest disappointment. Um, I remember you said uh, on our podcast that the Heat would take the biggest step back in terms of teams that did well last season going into this year. Looking at it right now, Miami is fifth in the Eastern Conference, so I think that prediction's a little bit off but you could still say they're a big they're a little bit of a disappointment but from your standpoint who's been the biggest disappointment of the season I think it's no fault to their own but it's the Memphis Grizzlies I mean that team was fun to watch last year they were a legit team and then right 
the first week of the season, you lose Stephen Adams from the knee surgery. Brandon Clark's still recovering from the torn Achilles. John Morant only plays in nine games after his 25-game suspension with the shoulder surgery. Marcus Smart in and out of the lineup, out for another six weeks now. Luke Kennard and Derek Rose have been available for like 50% of their games. So it's no fault of their own, but that team was supposed to be fun, right? People were excited for that backcourt pairing of Smart and John Morant. Then you got Bain. Like that team was supposed to be fun to watch, and it's just they haven't been able to stay healthy like i personally have never seen a season derailed this quickly by injuries yeah i think at least i I would stray away from memphis because i thought i talked about this last week that this is basically like a gap year for them they weren't going to have jaw for 25 games and that really put them in a bind to begin with then as you said the injuries just kept piling up and up so i didn't think memphis was really going anywhere to begin with but i could see why they would be a big disappointment i feel like I'm trying to pick between three teams right now, but I think it has to be the Pistons because of just how bad they are. I mean, we 28 straight losses. Like I can't think of any team anywhere in any sport that has had that many losses in a row. And they have a team built with talent. They have talent on their roster. Sure. They've got a veteran coach who knows how to win in the uh, Monty Williams. It's just something about mentally, I guess like maybe there's something going on behind closed doors that, neither you or I know about that's really got the Pistons to their what their four and 36 record that they currently have it, right it's now brutal and I think I think you nailed it they are so much more talented than what their record shows that's a talented team and I think you also are right in your assessment with Monty Williams like you give that guy the second highest contract to be the head coach of your organization you do not expect these kind of results they were expecting to be in the thick of things at least in the play-in consideration and just the how badly things have turned and they fight hard i give them credit like even with the celtics we saw like when they came to boston they fight hard and they gave the sixers a run for their money they gave denver a run for their money so they they play hard they just don't get it done it's it is tough to see because you know it's bad for the league when you have that kind of competition when you have a team like four wins they got four wins and we're midway through the season. It's just a bad look. And it's, it's, it doesn't make sense to me. Cause like you said, they're, they're not as bad as their record shows. Yeah. I think they're probably sort of back to where they normally are or in terms of like really bad teams, like down at the bottom of the league, like they'll be competitive and then they'll win some games now and again, but it was just that start that they got off to the beginning of the year that led to those 28 straight. You saw it like once the streak ended, um, or during like the end of the streak where it was the Celtics, uh, as you said, they were playing hard, but they just didn't do it for the, in- for all of those games, those 28 straight. So if they can bring that on a consistent basis, maybe they can turn things around, but obviously no hope there for the Pistons as we're already into 2024. Um, I did mention we are near the trade deadline, uh, that will come up, uh, about a week after the all-star game, which is in about a month or so. Who would you say is the team that absolutely needs to hit a home run at the deadline or at least make a move or two to better their chances? I would say the Kings, if I'm looking at it that way. I think the Kings can compete the way they're built right now if they have some holes where they need to kind of shore up some spots. And I saw they've been shopping Harrison Barnes. They've been kind of checking around the league, seeing who's available and what they can fill. Because that team right now, the West is wide open when you look at it right now. I know we were just talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder, but that's still a young team, right? So there's no sure fire that they're going to go out and win. And this this Kings team last year took the Warriors to seven. And if it wasn't for Steph Curry dropping 50 in game seven, the, the 
was the most ever in a game seven until Tatum beat him a couple weeks later. Like that Kings team is good. I like their leadership with Mike Brown. Like, you know, that team just needs a little bit of a push. And I think if they can make some sort of move there that solidifies their chance, they'll be, uh, they'll be sitting pretty. I don't know if the push is Mike Brown bringing out a laptop post game after the Bucks loss where he got that was awesome, though. I don't know if that's the push, but I will say it was very entertaining. It's fun when coaches do those sort of props sort of things in press conference. Imagine you're in that press press room like what must be going through your mind if Mike Brown all of a sudden boom lip, whips out a laptop and is pointing like this is what I did. This is what I did. Like as a reporter, what are you supposed to do? And unfortunately, like, I don't think we'll, uh, as a Celtics reporter, at least under the Missoula tenure, I don't think we'll get that. Like, like even with uh, the Raptors coach with Darko a couple weeks ago, he, when he flipped out because of the free throw disparity in the fourth quarter, flipped out, lost his mind. It's like, Joe doesn't do that. And like, so sometimes I wish he would, but it's, it, composure is important. He doesn't want to get fined. I don't blame him. But uh, I did like his moment last week when after the Pacers game, you know, his favorite movies, the town. And mm-hmm. he was saying his favorite scene was when they leave, t- when they leave the town and he puts the note, the windshield and it's got some explicitives on it. And that was his message to the league office. So I think he has his own way of displaying things in in funny ways. But like, I would love to see a flip out like that, man. That'd be so entertaining yeah i can only imagine what a angry joe Missoula might look like but hey you we got him to open what it looks like we got him to open up at least from last year to this year he's talking about the town and all those loose stuff at least he's doing that uh let's move on to uh the all-star break uh in a couple of weeks um we i think we know like some of the givens that are out there we know like lebron anthony davis Giannis. all those guys are gonna make it without a doubt and we can argue about who's a starter who's a reserve or not what is one name in either conference? What would you say is maybe a name that no one's really paying attention to that you think deserves to make the all-star team? Well, it's going to be a cheesy answer, but it's Derek White. I mean, I've there been on this for a while now. I've, I've, I'm on the Derek White train for the all-star campaign. It's just what he does. He's the most impactful player on the best team in the league. If that doesn't warrant all-star consideration, I don't know what does. And then you look at his numbers in the clutch, right? His plus minus in the clutch is second best behind just Damian Lillard. The guy steps up in the biggest moments is one of the best offensive guards. He's one of the best two-way guards in the league. If you look at it, the impact he has on both sides of the ball. And I know in terms of fan voting, last time they came out, he was seventh or yeah, I think he was seventh in fan voting. He last did time make he a out. jump. He made he drew, a jump from the yeah, yeah. He actually jumped Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday bumped down a nine. Derek White was back to uh, seven, but just what he does shouldn't go unrecognized. And I know it's just so unrealistic to expect that all five make the all-star game, but they have all made a legitimate like case for themselves. And I think Derek white might hit the back burner because he's not as flashy, but he's got career highs in every stat. You name it blocks, steals points, rebounds, assists, all career highs for him. Like I said, the most impactful player and he's just a winning player. Like, you know, coaches, I don't think, I think the fan voting wasn't going to do him any favors, but if you look at it, with the coaches. I mean, those guys watch so much film. They watch all of it. They know the impact these guys have. So I honestly think that Derek White could get in as a reserve through the through the coaches voting. But I think that's one name that, you know, everyone's been talking about it. That's why I said it's a cheesy answer. But, you know, what he does just should not go unnoticed. Yeah, it, it's kind of tough when you look at the fan voting. Obviously, the fans have their names that they go to. And obviously, these household names that have been there before. I think because of White, this is his first big year i think everyone at least in san antonio when he started and then when he got traded to boston everyone kind of knew 
his impact. The question is, I don't think he's done. He's had these numbers long enough for anyone to warrant. Hey, this is a guy to make the all-star team, but I'm, I'm right with you. I think he deserves it. I think he's most impactful, but he's got to climb over Tatum and Brown. He's going to climb over Porzingis now and again, maybe holiday once in a while. It, it's tough, but I'm definitely rooting for it. Just like you. I'm hoping that uh Derek white makes the all-star team, but Let's move to after, eventually, when we get to uh, post-All-Star break, post-trade deadline. Who would you say right now, in looking at the standings, who do you think is going to take the biggest jump from where they are to now in the standings? And then who's going to drop the most? So I look at the Western Conference right now. I don't think the Timberwolves will stay atop the West. I honestly don't. I think they're going to drop down possibly to even four. I can see Oklahoma City getting up there, Denver getting up there, the Clippers ever since the James Harden move figured it out. They're red hot. So I can see the Timberwolves really jumping down. And I'm going to stay in the Western Conference with the biggest jump to the Phoenix Suns. I mean, they're in the eight seed right now, and you are just far too talented to be in that position. If you're the Phoenix suns, like that is a super team by every stretch, whatever you want to say, that is a super team. When you have a team with Devin Booker, Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal, you cannot afford to suck that bad. So they're going to, they're going to make a jump. It's just a matter of when, and they've been dealing with injuries as well. So once they kind of start figuring it out, I think they're going to have a big jump in the standings. It does kind of feel like that big three of Phoenix has like never seen the floor at all. Obviously Beal missed the start of the year and then he's missed a couple of weeks and then Booker had his problems. Durant had his problems and they basically got a bunch of vet minimums on their depth. So that depth was really, really tested. Um, but I agree. I think they'll get out of that playing spot. And then I also see, uh, I'm, ba- I'm basically locks up with you on that. I think Minnesota is a good team. I don't think they can hold off uh, Denver and even Oklahoma city, at least at that point. It's a, it's fun to watch Minnesota though. They're, they're a really good team, um, but I don't expect them to be at the top of the conference uh, for much longer. They just don't have enough offensively. I think your de- their defense is what's carried them there. And in an offensive-driven league, yes, that's you're going against the trend a little bit, but there's only so much that your defense can do. When you're looking at these, you look at these over-unders, man. Some of them are like 240. Like, that's how much teams are scoring. Like, total combined points, 240. Like, that's a lot of points. And yeah. unfortunately, just like the way the offenses are in today's NBA, you can't live by the defense anymore. You have to have mm-hmm. a good offense as well, like the Celtics do, where you can complement each other. And that's why I think they're going to drop down. In the well, West. that's why that's a great segue as we now pivot, uh, pivot from the NBA to the Celtics in general. Talk to me about what have the Celtics been doing so well? They're 31 and nine, best record in the NBA for a while. They've been sitting on the East for quite some time. You told me like they were a championship contenders, but I had to see it to believe it. What specifically has the have the Celtics done that's gotten them to where they are right now? The simple answer is it's their new toys. I mean, every time, especially with Porzingis, anytime they're struggling, right, they just dump it to him in the middle, and he's such a threat, and he opens up their offense so much with his spacing, and he's a great poster. Like, what he does for their offense just takes them to a whole nother level. And then I also think... The defense, they are just so bought in on that. And I, I give Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown credit because that's who started that charge. They were the ones from the start that wanted to be more focused on defense. Jalen Brown, right after game seven, was like, we lost touch with our defense. That's where we need to hang our hat. That's how we got to the finals in 2022. That's that's what you have to do. And so that they're really been locked in on that side. And I give Joe Mazzula a ton of credit. And Drew Holiday on that side has been a huge difference maker. He's playing that free safety rule role. He's acting as the quarterback, really having a vocal impact on that defense. So it's just their new toys have slotted in 
in ways that I don't even think Brad Stevens could have imagined. Like you knew they were going to fit because he identified these guys. He even said, he's like, you have a list of players that you you always want, but you never quite think you're going to have the opportunity. Those two players cracked that list and you knew they were going to fit in well, but just how well they fit in and everyone buying into that idea of sacrifice. I think that was a big question mark for me. It's like, you see these super teams, there's only one ball. And usually those super teams are two, three, four guys. This is six. You have six guys. Like I put Al Horford in there. The guys started over 1200 games. Like you yeah. put them like, the sacrifice in there is just, that's what made them so good. Yeah, and you've obviously been at practices and shoot-arounds off the court. It's It looks like, just from an outsider's perspective, that they still sort of have that loose nature with each other. They look more relaxed. We've seen uh, Joe Mazzula not be, you know, so tense in these press conferences. But they look a lot more serious, I guess. And then you, and you said last time uh, that you were on that they're going about this in a business style. They're not... They're having their moments of fun and looseness, but it just looks like they are all serious uh, and getting the job done, which is getting a championship. Would you agree? A hundred percent. And I think that was a, that hard nosed approach started from Missoula in training camp where even Tatum was like, this is hard, dude. They're having us do two a days. And then we're playing a preseason game the next day. Like they went hard in the in training camp. They did not mess around. They really locked in and got the, ironed out the details so they didn't necessarily have to in the regular season. I still think they're locked in. I mean, anytime you look at them on the on the floor, like they are they they're trying to win every game, every every day. They're that's Missoula's thing. They want to win every day. They do win a practice, win a game, whatever it may be, you're winning every day. And that's what they're doing. And they've bought into Joe and his mindset. And I think he deserves a ton of credit for where this team's at. Yeah, a lot of off the floor things I've noticed are completely different from what I saw last year. What about the 19 and 0 start at home? This is the best start at home that the team has had in franchise history. You got to keep in mind, this is an 80 plus year franchise and they've set the record this year. Is there something different that you're seeing with their, when they're playing on the TD garden court rather than on the road? Is it something different? Is it a different mindset? How, how would you explain the dominance that they have at home? It honestly, their shots just seem to fall more at home. Like these guys are shooting almost 50% from three and the field at home. They're outscoring opponents by 294 points in their 19 games at the garden. Ooh. 11 of their 11 of their wins at home have come by double digits. That's insane. And it's just, I, I we've tried to get it out of, we've asked Joe, we've asked all of them and they really don't have an answer. It's just like protecting home court. But as much, as good as that is, it's all that what they can do in the spring, right? They were a great home court team last year until the playoffs. And then they were losing at home and it made them things difficult for themselves. Obviously the number one example, probably the, the first two in Miami, when you drop those, you go down Oh three, you know, had they not gone down Oh two in those, those games at home to start the season, they probably have been looking at that game seven. They probably would have closed it out before and they probably would have been back in the NBA finals. So it's just a matter of what they can do in the spring. But it is interesting, man, because it feels like they're, they're friendly rims. I don't know what it is. I can't put a finger on it. And uh, But they're, they're just shooting lights out at home and their offense is just clicking. Hey, it makes your job easy when they're always winning at sure. home. You, you, yeah, get to, sure. you get a little pre, you can do the control alt delete for all of your pieces that you have when it comes to uh, home games. How about... We, you've shared a couple of numbers in clutch time. It still looks like they're struggling a little bit uh, in those kind of scenarios when it gets to the fourth quarter. They usually have one bad quarter in their losses. What would you say is the big key 
for the Celtics in clutch time that they need to fix before they get to the postseason? Well, honestly, you got to avoid the clutch time to just win the third quarter. They're the best first half team in the league, and then you're oftentimes losing those leads because you stink in the third quarter. And they that was the case a lot last night, right? For a while, it looked like they were going to be on another collapse. And seven of their nine losses, they've lost the third quarter. That's what it all comes down to is just holding that lead. Because when you're a team that that's that that talented, right? You oftentimes kissing double digits, flirting with it, and and when you go to the half, and then you lose that lead because of poor starts out of the third quarter. And that's been an issue for years now. Since the really the whole Tatum and Brown era, this has been an issue. It was an issue in the finals under Ime. It was an issue in the bubble under Brad. This is the three coaches. It's still an issue. And that's something they have to figure out. And I think they're working towards it. They've understand that it's an issue. Like I said, seven of your nine losses, you've lost the third quarter. That that's what's telling. So you wouldn't be in the clutch if you could just win the third quarter in most instances. But I think in terms of their clutch offense, I think they just gotta settle down. I don't think you necessarily I'm I'm not a big on the timeouts. Like I, I know a lot of people like to rip Joe for the timeouts, but there's been a couple there where there's clearly not a play developing and he won't call one and he'll kind of let them out. And the obvious one there is the Tatum three against the Warriors that on a bum ankle and he wasn't shooting it well. That should have probably used a timeout. But other than that, you can't really think of any. I just think they have to like settle down a little bit. Use Porzingis in those situations because anytime you get him in the middle, it's an automatic bucket or he's getting to the line. So I think you got to use him and Maybe get away from your three-pointers in the clutch when you don't need the three. When you only need a two or a one, get that. All right, yeah, a lot, a lot of work in progress when it comes to clutch time. And last question for me, uh, the trade deadline, we, we mentioned it overall in the league. The Celtics are one of these curious cases, I think, because you are a big fan of the bench rotation that uh, you've seen. Obviously, the three coming off right off the bat, Pritchard, Horford, Hauser. It's that uh, 9 and 10 spot that you and I had talked about that they might need to shore up. But you are a big fan of other guys like Luke Cornett, Nemeas Keda. Do you see the Celtics possibly making a move at the deadline to try and shore up that bench? Or do you like the rotation the way it is? I like the rotation the way it is, and I honestly think Brad Stevens does too. I think when we talked to him uh, last week, he was said they were looking for a big wing and mentioned multiple times that that player might already be in the building. So they have a bunch of guys that fit that criteria. I think the obvious ones, O'Shea Brissett, Lamar Stevens fits in there too. Delano Banton's listed as a guard, but he's 6'8", so he can play the wing, a little bit smaller. But I think Brad Stevens content with this with this rotation he has. And I think a big reason of that is because of what we talked about earlier is that chemistry. Like you don't, in a way, if you bring someone in, right, what are the chances they actually crack the rotation given the, the cap constraints the Celtics are on? So you're going to bring someone in and possibly mess with that chemistry. It doesn't make sense. And I hear a lot of times that people are like, oh, then what are you going to do if poor Zingas goes down? Like that's the big one. The reality is when you only have about 6 million to work with here, you're not replacing Porzingis or anything he brings, right? So in a way, you're kind of subtracting when you're adding because you you risk kind of messing with that chemistry. So I think Brad Stevens is content with his rotation. I'm certainly content with it because come playoff time, it's really going to be eight, maybe nine anyway. So I think I think they have enough. Yeah, I guess that question is, do you trust a Lamar Stevens, O'Shea Brissett, et cetera, et cetera, if one of these guys goes down and from what they've seen so far the specialty rules that they have it has worked out very well uh terp thanks so much for taking the time uh before we get you out of here why don't you uh promote slammed it's a brand new podcast from odyssey uh gotta get 
in on WEI. We've had Red Sox, Patriots, we got Bruins podcast. We finally got a Celtics podcast from WEI. What can you tell us about Slammed? Yeah, check out Slammed anywhere you get your podcast on the Odyssey app, wherever. Um, it's by, by myself, Esteban Bustios, and Megan Ottolini, and just talking weekly about the Celtics, reacting to the weeks and kind of big picture topics. So give us a follow, like, review, subscribe, and also check out my work over at uh, WEI.com as well. Of course, one of the uh, best to do it currently at EEI, helping us with our Celtics coverage. Terp, thanks so much for your time and hope we can get uh, back on that train and the Celtics can get themselves a championship banner like you promised the last time you were on. Yes, sir. Still looking at it. So thank you for having me, Joe. All right. Well, we shift from Celtics to Patriots. We get a special Let's Get Local segment coming up next. Now it's time for a very special Let's Get Local segment where we got to focus on the Patriots with all of the news that's been going on in Foxborough. And I think I need another person to help me out with this topic. A first-time appearance for this podcast. You know him as the Patriots writer on WEI.com. You can catch him with Nick Fitzy Stevens and Andy Hart on the Six Rings and Football Things podcast via WEI and Odyssey. The one and only Mike Cadlick joins us to talk to Patriots. Mike, thanks for taking the time out. Uh, for talking because this has been a whirlwind week as you know I was gonna say yeah thanks for having me this is uh, a perfect time to do it because uh, we have quite the uh, changing of the guards down in Foxborough so yeah happy to join you Joe yeah it's been absolutely crazy and I think the the first question I'll start off I've been asking everyone about this is when you saw the news and got the headline on that Thursday morning that mm -hmm. Bill Belichick the Patriots parting ways what's some of the first things that goes through your mind so I've said it, and I, me and me and Andy sort of, you know, brainstormed this together on on Six Rings a couple weeks ago. Where like, you know, it, it feels like it's coming, but you're never actually prepared for it. And I, I would say that, you know, I was I was surprised, but I wasn't shocked, or I was shocked, but I wasn't surprised. So like, you know, when it actually hit, it was like, holy crap, they actually did it. Like, and I, I was actually I was on a run. Me and my fiance were out uh, out on a jog. I thought I was getting getting my workout in prior to the news breaking, and I got about. A quarter mile in and I had to run back home because I, I got a notification on my watch from from Schefter so uh it was crazy and, and like I said I mean you knew it was coming but you, you're never really actually prepared for it like you you have all your pre-writes ready you know is Bill gonna go is he gonna stay you have your thoughts but once it happens it's it, it was all not we I mean we were in Foxborough like four hours later and Bill was sitting there telling us he's leaving so it, it was bizarre um and it still doesn't really 100% feel like you go and you type something and you write like former head coach Bill Belichick and current head coach Gerard Mayo. It's it's bizarre. It's it's surreal. But uh, yeah, that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah, it's really insane. Like, as you said, like you could ponder and you and I, I think both have the same opinion that like it was time for a new era. But yep. when it actually goes down, it was absolutely crazy. Now, you said you went to Foxborough on that day. Can you sort of take me through that day and maybe the feeling around Foxborough? Was it like a little uneasy? Was there oh, yeah. a little bit of excitement? Like what were the emotions going around? Cause it wasn't just you that was totally engaged and interested. Right. Exactly. No. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of, it felt like a funeral. Like it was weird because we, we, the whole, the entire beat left the, the previous, well, the previous Friday. And then we go to the game Sunday and it's like, all right, that's it. Like, see y'all whenever we, nobody knows what's going to happen. 
and you kind of figure you'll be back, but you don't know how they're going to do it. If it's going to be a press release, if they're going to have you back, if they're like, so it was just kind of a, a waiting game for like, I was just sitting, literally just sitting in my apartment for four days, like waking up, like, okay, what's next? Okay. What's next. And so then what finally hits you, you go down there and you look and you see all your, your beat, your beat friends. You're like, Oh, Hey, good to see you again. Like, and it's, it was, it was like, I mean, a funeral is, is, is a dark way to put it, but you know, you all show up, you're like, all right, like it, it, it's real, it's happening. And so it was, it was eerie. I guess eerie is the right way to say it because uh, it was, you're never, I mean, you're, you only sit in the final Belichick press conference once. And so to kind of try and be where your feet are, but also covered at the same time was, was very, it was, it was interesting, but yeah, no, it, it was crazy. It, it definitely has been whirlwind, as we said, for the past week or so. Um, before we, and get like you in, said too, you yeah. said, no, you, you like, you use the word excitement and it's like, it's, it's kind of, weird to stay excited that a coach is leaving and excited but it is it's like it was like it's a history making moment yeah right you like you look forward to it and so you're into it and it's crazy and so i guess excitement is the right word but i guess not for not for the right reason yeah there's a little bit of excitement there but sort of on the downside um before we get to what was actually said in the press conference by belichick and robert Kraft, i want to go back to monday because obviously you were there when the team was packing everything up the locker room Mm -hmm. signing off bill belichick had his last press conference uh so we knew um did you get any sort of sense in the locker room or anywhere around the building that this change was possibly coming or was it kind of like everyone was sort of left in the dark i kind of did feel like everybody was left in the dark and it it was kind of like what sort of how we felt that week and it sort of it gave off the same vibe we're like okay something has to change because yeah, this Patriots team that we've known for so long to be so obviously successful and, you know, you win six titles and you're always in contention. Like, it hadn't happened for four years now and this really felt like rock bottom. And every week after week felt like rock bottom. Like, you go and you, you you watch the Germany game and then they come back and they lose to Washington. And then it's just, it it never, I guess it never really truly bottomed out until Thursday afternoon when he actually said he was leaving. So it, there was sort of a feeling like, okay, things are going to be different. You just don't know if they're actually going to pull the plug on Bill. So I don't think anybody really knew. Um, I don't think anybody really had a sense that it was actually going to happen, um, at least from my point of view. And then obviously there were other reports where even coaches were like, you know, as the days went on, we sort of thought, you know, he might be able to hang on and we might actually be back here. Um, and obviously that's not the case. I know there's also been, there's been more reports over the last few days where, you know, Brian and Steve Belichick may still stay on staff and even Bill O'Brien might be here. So that's all sort of, you know, a puzzle that's yet to be put together right now. But uh, yeah, just that week was just sort of everyone's kind of looking at each other like, is it actually going to happen? And when is it actually going to happen? Yeah, it's definitely a lot more answers uh, that were filled in, at least during the week. But there's mm-hmm. still a ton of questions in yeah. Foxborough. Uh, let's go back to uh, the Thursday press conference, as you said, kind of being a funeral. We obviously heard Bill Belichick. He said the right things, being like happy to be a Patriot was getting a little bit choked up. But then it was interesting to see Robert Kraft make the statement and then come back later in the day and Mm -hmm. answer questions. And he seemed pretty open and honest, I would say. What did you make of what Bill Belichick, and more in particular what Robert Kraft said on that day? Were you sort of buying what uh, they might have been selling? As a fan, I was, you know, the, the the Patriots fan of me was like, oh, yeah, they they went into the room and they looked at each other and they smiled and they were like, this is it. And I love you, man, and gave him a hug. But obviously, that's what they, you know, made it out to be with the press conference and the amicable parting of ways. But 
there's no doubt in my mind that there, you know, was some tension in those in those meetings. And it, was there respect there? I'm sure. Like, again, I think, and Kraft said it, you know, that he's brought us X, Y, and Z, you know, Super Bowl titles and championships and, you know, all the happiness in the world, I guess, as a Patriots fan. So it's hard to move on. And he said it still. It was a hard decision to move on. And so um, what I made from, you know, no questions and then Kraft coming back was we know Bill doesn't necessarily enjoy answering questions and talking <laughs> to the media and giving don't them say yeah right he doesn't <laughs> he he really plays by the nfl rules and gives you only what he absolutely has to and so i'm sure that that was i guess a part of his maybe that was a part of his parting deal where look i'll go out there i'll say this was a together thing and we're on the same page but i don't want to answer any questions i want to give my statement and then i want to leave and so even if they did the questions right after with just craft and bill that would look more so like it was definitely that where, okay, I'm literally leaving the room, but you stay and answer for me and I'm gone. Um, and Kraft knew he had to sort of speak for it. So I'm sure that's, that's why they set it up that way. Um, and again, I'm, sh I'm sure that like it, there's, there's this, I guess a narrative and a thought where it wasn't an amicable split. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I'm sure that I'm sure Bill wanted to return, but as the conversations went on, I'm sure they did end up agreeing that, okay, it's time for the both of us to go. And so that's why I think at the end of the day, it was so, um, I guess, ceremonious and not that um, contentious, I guess. So that's kind of what I took from the whole statements, go leave and then come back for questions type thing. That that was kind of my, my view on it. Yeah, eventually, like it gets to mutually agreed. And as we saw in the Seth Wickersham report uh, right. from ESPN, there was a lot to unfold. So there's not much. There's a lot to dissect in that article. So I'll just ask, what were your big takeaways from what you saw? And keep in mind, this comes hours after the Patriots named Gerard Mayo, their head coach, and all of a sudden more dirty laundry and more dysfunction gets uh, uncovered. What would you say were the, the highlights or the sticking points in that story from Seth Wickersham? I, um, people can't stand you know, Wickersham doing these exposés. I I am so into like the drama of it all. So I, I sat on my couch on Friday afternoon, just like eyes glued to my phone, reading the entire <laughs> thing for like, an, like I, I love it. And I think that, and I, of course, like he's, as much as he is a journalist, he's a storyteller. So a lot of that stuff is fabricated, but I don't think like people think he completely makes these things up. And I, that's just not, you, you don't become ESPN's like top, you know, storyteller writer journalist for no reason and so um, I'm sure the things he's told are true and then he puts his little you know spin like the, the way he tells his story you literally feel like you're in the locker room when when shit's happening and so um, I know that's why it's so fascinating um, big takeaway is just that you know it's clearly um, it was clearly Bill's decision at least from you know the side of the story that told Wickersham to get rid of Brady and that he never really you know he wanted to try and win with Brady all the way back in like 2014 Um the other thing that I take away from it, it's not necessarily from the guts of the story, is that, you know, like I said earlier about the media and Bill and not talking and keeping things in-house, like, I mean, and we talked about it yesterday when you were producing me and Bradfoe's show, like, it's clear who's leaking now and who's not kind of saying a word, and it's it's all coming from the craft side of things, and they want to get, you know, their story out, and they want to save their face, um, and Bill's just kind of, as least at least right now, as of, you know, whatever day it is at you know noontime like bill's not saying anything he's gonna go interview with the falcons he's gonna go elsewhere and do his thing and he's not gonna let the you know the media spin get to him but um it looks like the crafts are sort of giving their side of the story and letting it all play out there but it, it's fascinating i'm sure that you know 
the saying goes, there's two, there's three sides of a story, mine, yours, and the in tr the truth, and that's one side of it, and we'll see what happens in the end. But yeah, maybe um, we'll, I, maybe we'll get it out of the Dynasty documentary yeah, we exactly, see in February. I, yeah, I can't wait for that either. But um, a fascinating read if you can go check it out. Anyone who hasn't hasn't read it, but it because it, it does paint a picture of sort of it's impossible for 24, 25 years to have consistent success and also like get along like a, a married couple and craft kept saying marriage and uses it because that was sort of the, the last of it was that divorce on Thursday. So yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's my take on that. It was essentially a marriage turning into a divorce and obviously most divorces end out ugly. So exactly. that's what, that's what happened in the case. But now we have to shift towards the future because while this stuff all happened in the past, the future now has Jerron Mayo as the man in charge. And I think you and I agree that Mayo is a good candidate and a good uh, option. The question was, though, the process that it happened. Obviously, we heard and found out that there was a succession clause in Mayo's contract when he initially resigned in January of last year. But then yeah. the complaints that you and I have heard and also from fans who have called in was that if Mike Vrabel's still out there, why at least not do your due diligence? So, were you a big fan of Gerard Mayo getting this job and the way he got his job, or would you have maybe done it in a different sort of way? Yeah. I, I hate to tell the line on things, but I can sort of see both sides to it. Like if you look at it from, you know, the craft's perspective and okay, we can lock him in. Now there is this succession plan where we do not have to go through our external search. We know this is our guy. We don't care who else is out there. This is our when we do inevitably move on from bill. There's not this huge waiting period of three weeks where you have to, you know, do your extensive search. Literally, the day after they moved on for Belichick, they made Mayo the head coach, and it was like, okay. And I said it. Me and me and uh, Andy did a six rings where it's like it was the Thursday after Bill's thing, and I was like, so not that I was concerned, but I was like, right now as things stand, nobody's in charge in Foxborough because everything ran through Bill Belichick, and so that would have been tough to kind of uh, sift through for you know three four weeks where. Player, like who do players turn to? What time does the weight room open? Like, what can we do? What's our, like, you know, there's so many question marks where they were already able to get a, a point man in charge in Gerard Mayo. So that's the positive. And also the fact that the crafts, you know, have known him for, you know, over a decade now and, and trust in him as a leader of men. So that's the positive. The negative is just what you said where, okay, well, you don't know who's going to be fired. You don't know who's going to be available in the next head coaching search. And so like a guy like Mike Rabel, who also has Patriots ties, who, was just here this this season and was inducted into the Hall of Fame, who essentially, at least according to the rumors out of Nashville, was fired because he gave so much love to New England during his speech. So, like, that's the tough part is you don't exhaust all your options and you just lean on the guy who you had in here before. And so would it have been my, – my take on it, it really is, like, if there was this clause baked in and Mayo knows it and you know it, but then you still open up the search – is it kind of a slap in the face to Mayo who, you know, he stayed here because he was going to be the guy and he, you know, he didn't take a head coaching job elsewhere. And then you go and you give it to Brable and you say, sorry, we didn't know. And then it's like, you ruin your relationship with Gerard or you open the search and you give it to Mayo anyway. And it's like, well, we, we just wanted to make sure that we actually liked it. It's kind of a, you know, they, they boxed themselves in when they made that clause for better or for worse last January. Um, we'll see how it plays out. Like you said, I think he's a good candidate. Um, but if I were them, I, I think I would have tried to open up the, you know, open up the search a little more. But then 
and this goes back to last January, if you don't write that into his clause, maybe he leaves and then it comes this offseason, you go four and 13 and you don't have Gerard Mayo as an option. And who knows a variable gets fired and then you're, you know, you're, you're sitting on your hands. So yeah, it's a big, it's a big swing and they're hoping to exactly. uh, make contact with it. Uh, is, is it concerning though? Because we've seen reports now from the athletic and others that everything sounds like it's going to be in-house general manager, mm-hmm. Um, where we heard both Belichick's uh, have been given offers to possibly return. Um, Billy O'Brien is still in the consideration for offensive coordinator. And I think you and I are in lockstep saying that um, getting outside of the circle would be beneficiary to move this organization forward. So is mm-hmm. it concerning that everything seems like it's going to just continue to be in-house rather than going for these external candidates? Yeah, a little bit. I I, I look at it and it's like, you know, if you're going to move on from the greatest coach of all time, you got to do it right. And you got to, again, exhaust all your options. And, you know, when you you bought him out here and you're four and 13 and you have the number three overall pick and you have this all of this cap space and a ready made defense like you need to make sure that the decision you make are what are best you know, for the future. And you're not just taking the easy way out. And, it, you know, if you have trust in Elliot Rolf and Macro, then in theory, behind closed doors, that's not taking the easy way out. But it kind of looks that way. It kind of looks, you just want to trust your guys and, you know, not really see what else is out there. And, you know, when you moved on for Belichick, I I said this multiple times yesterday, you weren't firing Belichick, the head coach, you were firing Belichick, the general manager. And so if who has final say changes and, you know, like we'll never know every time, you know, you you look back at, we, we talked about yesterday, but like the, when the Patriots drafted Chad Ryland, you don't know if Matt Groh and Elliot Wolf were pounding the table and saying, no, take Puka Nakua. And that's just the the extreme example. But point being, does changing just the yes man or the, the person in charge really change the, the outlook of the entire franchise? That's what we're going to have to wait and see. Now, it also it's also been reported that they're going to go status quo for now and then maybe bring in another executive post-draft. I think that kind of muddies the water and makes it even worse. Like if you're going to do this now and make Elliot Wolf the yes man and Macros his assistant and they're on the same page with Mayo and that's how you want to build your team. Like the team building starts now. It doesn't start after the draft. So you get another head in here and then there's just more finger pointing when something's wrong. So there needs to be, you know, one man in charge, one person who says yes. The collaboration approach they took over the last couple of years that kind of backfired because now whenever something goes wrong, everyone's pointing every which way. And, you know, Bill's saying it's collaborative, but everybody else is saying, well, no, you're the general manager and you say yes. And, but I'm not in the room all the time. So it's, it's, you need somebody who is that, you know, point guard of point guard of the organization. And right now it's Elliot Wolf. And if that's their decision, they should stick to it and they shouldn't, you know, move those goalposts. Yeah. Forward. Considering, considering how crucial this off season is when you go to free right. agency and you go to the draft, it's really important to, find that guy and let him make the decision. You can have inputs, but whoever is making that final call has to be real. Um, Before we talk about the draft, uh, how we wrap it up, I just wanted to ask with everything that's gone on with Belichick being fired with Mayo coming in and all this other stuff, it seems like Robert Kraft is having his fingers in a lot of this and maybe Jonathan Mm -hmm. to an extent as well. So just, Curious, how much pressure do you think is on the crafts to get this right? Because they're making these big swings. They're locking in Gerard Mayo even before they have any kind of search. Same thing with the general manager and the upcoming draft. How much pressure is now on Robert and to an extent Jonathan as well to turn this thing around? There is 
an incredible amount of pressure on them to turn this thing around right now. I don't think there's any other way you can slice it. I mean, you were the greatest dynasty in, in sports history and you won all your titles and you went to all these Super Bowls and you had the greatest coach of all time and you had the greatest quarterback of all time. You let the quarterback walk and that decision backfired. If you now let the greatest coach walk and that decision backfires on you too, you quickly go from one of the better ownership, you know, widely considered one of the better ownership groups in sports to, well, what the hell were you doing? And why would you like, in theory, you could look at it right now, Joe, and you could say that, and granted uh, Brady's 46 now, and you don't know if he would retire, but right now Brady and Belichick could still be here at the top of their game if they could have made everything work. And that's ultimately on ownership, you know, even though they're not, you know, they're supposed to be hands off and not metal. That's kind of the, you know, the, the, the thinking around ownerships and sports, but yeah, there's a ton of pressure because you can't move on from both and get it wrong both times and, you know, come out scot-free. So that's, that's the way I look at it is they, they have to get this right. It has to be, there's no more swings and misses. They swung and missed Brady. You could swing and miss Brolichek. You, You can't do it again. Yeah, it's absolutely crucial. And as I said, it's such a crucial offseason, maybe the most important offseason in the 21st century that this team has faced because it's because it's now officially post dynasty. And I'll get you out of here on this. As I mentioned, how crucial it is. You have the draft with the third overall pick. You have all this money to spend. You got some guys you might want to bring in. You need to turn this thing around. So can you detail how important the offseason is in terms of bringing in the right guys and the draft in particular, because on top of that number three pick, a lot of mocks are saying how much talent they need. So the Patriots are going to have to draft, uh, trade in, find receivers, tackles, so on and so on. So just how important is the free agency and the uh, draft for the Patriots this offseason? Yeah, uh, there's I mean, there's a lot of holes, especially on offense. Um, you know, last year you went into it really and your holes were wide receiver, cornerback, offensive line, I thought, you know, a year ago today. And they figured out cornerback, but wide receiver and offensive line is major. And now you don't have a quarterback. Like, you know, you you gave Mac Jones one more chance. And as big of a Mac Jones guy as I've been, like, I think he got screwed. And there's a lot of outside things that, you know, ultimately ruined his chances here in New England. But, like, I think that could have worked well. And you saw it with Josh McDaniels' rookie year. And I'm, I'll get off my Mac Jones soapbox. But the, the point being is you need a quarterback now. And so you have that third pick. You have, I think, the 34th pick. And then you have a pick in somewhere in the 60s. And so that's three top 100 picks that you can really, you know, ultimately turn your franchise around. And um, you need to get those right. And you need to get free agency right. And so however you mix it up, you need to get a quarterback of the future or at least the near future. If you decide to go the veteran route, personally, I would go rookie and just rebuild it from the ground up. But um, you need to hit on a number one wide receiver because you, you don't have a guy like that. You don't have a guy who a rookie or a veteran can come in here and build the chemistry with. And, you know, when shit's hitting the fan can, you know, throw it up like Joe, Joe Barrow does to T Higgins and Jamar Chase. Like you need a guy like that, that a quarterback can, you know, trust and build rapport with, and then you need an offensive line. And, uh, well, I look at free agency and with the Patriots pending guys like Kyle Duggar, Mike Onwenu, Josh Uche, Anthony Jennings, like the number one guy on my list is Mike Onwenu because he can play guard. He can play tackle. Um, if you have to play him a tackle, that's fine. But if you can, you know, bring in an outside tackle, like whether it's free into the draft, you can move on one to guard. And then you have city. So and Mike Onwenu was your guards who so was one of the better, you know, ultimately ended up one of the better offensive rookie linemen in football. So there are some pieces there, but you really need to hit on those those three big things, which um, 
you know, ultimately are some of the biggest in football. You need to protect, you need a quarterback, you need to protect him and you need a guy for him to throw to. So um, however they combine it, those are the things I'm looking for. And if you go into the next season with, you know, new regime change, a quarterback of the future, um, you, you have plenty of cap space, use it on a wide receiver, like go get a guy like T Higgins. And I, the reason I sort of am being so open-ended about it is because there's so many combinations of ways you can do this. Um, and, and I'll write about it and talk about it and you can, you know, see else kind of outline what I ultimately think eventually, but whether you draft or sign a quarterback, offensive lineman, like wide receiver, that's, those are the three main things you need to do this off season. Yeah. And we've seen that this organization will take any and all paths. So it's literally, exactly. you literally can't write about it until it actually happens. Exactly. Um, so Mike, thank you for joining the time. I know you will be in Foxborough tomorrow yes. uh, when Gerard Mayo gets introduced at noon himself. Robert Kraft. We also talked yesterday. Jonathan might be there, and he's probably going to have to speak. So, what are you most looking forward to uh, when you get go down to Gillette tomorrow? Yeah, I'm I'm looking at really what what Jonathan has to say of, of anything because that's sort of been the talking point now over the last less you know the last five days is how involved is Jonathan? How involved was he in the decision? When does the transition of power and ownership happen? Because don't forget, Robert Kraft's 82, so you don't know how long he's going to either you know frankly be here or want to own the team so it's going to have to move on to jonathan he's going to have to answer questions um there's some rumors and speculation that they're going to be or they want to be heavily involved in football operations and you know others have refuted that so it'll be interesting to see how they answer the questions about the franchise moving forward so as much as it'll be nice to hear from mayo and his sort of thoughts on the future uh ownerships will be that much more important this will be a story to watch all off season and into the 2023 regular season. Mike Cadillac, you can read his work on WEI.com. You can listen to him on the Six Rings and Football Things podcast. Mike, thanks so much for joining us on this episode and have fun at Gillette for not just tomorrow, but the entire offseason because it's yeah. sure to be one entertaining offseason in New England. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. All right. We wrap up our show coming up next. Special thanks once again to Ben May, Justin Turpin, Mike Cadillac for joining our show. This has been a great episode. I have loved these conversations. But now normally we do our LOL moment of the week. And I know I did this before in our last episode of 2023. But I just wanted to reflect once again on what is now 100 full episodes of this podcast. Now, when I first started this, it was basically a side project and it still kind of is, but this was just a hobby while we were in the middle of the pandemic. We were right near the end, but still it was something I had to do to get my name out there. And then it turned from a hobby to something I just absolutely loved doing. So I am thrilled to have kept this thing going for Three years now, I mean, you could count two if you count the year that uh, we took off. But this has just been so much fun. And I do want to share this news here because um, there are going to be some changes to this podcast. Um, haven't, haven't really put it out in writing just yet. Haven't really gotten a plan out, anything like that. But... We are going to be doing a little bit of rebranding. So it might be Let Me Speak. It might not. Um, 
It might be an hour. It might not. I don't know. But I'm just telling you right now that we are going to go through some branding. It might. What we're going to do is maybe instead of one long episode, we'll do a couple of episodes during the week. And we'll cover more than just sports. I'm sure I'll have plenty of guests who have more to talk about rather than just sports. I've got a long list of people that I'm excited to bring on this podcast and to share episode after episode. Um, I'm just very much looking forward to the direction forward for this podcast. And I know that even if this podcast doesn't grow in audience and participation, I've at least got something to fall back on and I've got a great career to get my name out there. So along with my time at WEEI, a couple of other broadcasting gigs I have now and again, this podcast will continue to go strong, whether it's Let Me Speak or it's under a different name. Just know that this podcast will continue to go strong. So I once again thank all of you for making 100 episodes possible of Let Me Speak. I have had the thrill of a lifetime of putting this together. And just like that, we got to shut the party down on the 100th episode of Let Me Speak. I thank all of you once again tuning in, not just today or whenever you are listening to this episode, but all 100 past episodes. Make sure, as always, you follow this page on Instagram and Facebook. Search Let Me Speak podcast. Again, a thanks to Ben May, Justin Tarpin, Mike Cadlick for joining us. We will be back to the same old format next week. We'll be talking NFL divisional round, previewing AFC and NFC championships. And who knows, maybe more news will come out during that time. But until then, you have been watching the 100th episode of Let Me Speak. Later. Later.